0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
1: This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete.
0: Disgust.
1: Ew. Ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh,
0: no. Hello. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Tolt. It is so great to have you, whether it's the first time you've listened to this podcast, or if you're a, a veteran listener, this is episode number 71. Unbelievable. That's crazy, man. 71 episodes. I've done... 71 intros, I'm starting to wonder if they're getting a little repetitive I think I opened a beer last week I don't have any gimmicks for you this time uh, I'm not going to do a deathcore uh, vocal style uh, I could try, I would just Well, here's what it would happen If I tried to do it, I would end up doing it so many times And then editing it, and it would sound like we're actually badass and cool But it would be fake, you know, so I'm not even going to try However, the guest today Definitely knows a thing or two about Deathcore vocals. I have Scott Ian Lewis of Carnifex. Uh, it was a cool interview. And, um, you know, a lot of these interviews I do them in over the phone, over FaceTime or whatever. And a lot of times when I don't do that, I do them in person. And I do them like on back of a tour bus. Or I talk to Trent from Hands Like Houses in my car. Uh, this was actually done in a venue dressing room. I apologize for some of the background noise. At one point, we get our IDs checked, which is pretty funny for a 32-year-old and a 36-year-old, respectively. But I will say, Scott is super sincere, super cool, and really does tell like it is. And and it's a conversation I really enjoyed, and I know you will, too. As I record this, I am in downtown Toronto. I am working on a bunch of new music, uh, really keeping busy with that, Uh, drinking a lot of scotch, watching a ton of reruns of The Simpsons, and of course I'm very ready for baseball season. Uh, Playoffs, basketball, playoff, hockey, hopefully for the Toronto Maple Leafs, we shall see. That's what I've been up to. I also am going back on tour with my solo project, River Oaks. This time, we're going out west, doing some shows in Los Angeles, Anaheim, San Diego, Las Vegas. I'm also playing Chicago, which is going to be super, super cool tickets on sale now, riveroaksmusic.com, expect all the River Oaks songs that have ever been recorded, (laughs) I will play all those, I'll be doing a boatload of Silverstein acoustic songs, and of course some covers and stuff, Uh, tickets are like really cheap, like I think it's like 12 or 13 bucks, so again, the link is riveroaksmusic.com, check that out, Uh, as always, feel free to get in touch with me, if you like the show, if you don't like the show, whatever, I love your feedback, we're on all the social medias, I'm just search us Lead Singer Syndrome you'll find it. it'll pop up no problem uh, And also we have an email address which I do check all the emails I don't always get back to everybody because I do get a lot But I do read them all And the email address is syndrome at gmail.com If you want to leave me a message you can call the hate line It's 657 666 hate That's right. There's got to be some people that think I'm doing a terrible job and want to let me have it. So that's why we have the hate line set up. Again, 657-666-H-A-T-E. Give me a call. Also gotta give a big shout out to all the sinners. Thank you for being a part of the All Access Club. If you need more content on a monthly basis, if you need more interaction with other fans of the show, with myself, if you want to get some sweet merchandise, the only way to do that is to become a part of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. Check that out as well. It's dot Syndrome.com slash all access. And yeah, it's sick. So check it out. Only six dollars a month gets you in. And it really does help us keep the lights on around here. Another way you can support the show, if you buy anything on Amazon, please use our Amazon affiliate link. All you do is go to LeadSinger com slash Amazon. See, it's always the website and then a slash something. So this one is slash Amazon. And that'll take you directly to the Amazon homepage. Login is normal. You won't even know what happened, but anything you buy. The show gets four to six percent of that, and it costs you absolutely nothing. so I don't know I don't know what holidays are coming up. there's always birthdays, there's always stuff uh, I don't know March is March is kind of a weird month, but I know there's a lot of birthdays coming up in March. It just feel like a lot of people are born in March. I could be wrong. however, use the link again it's leadadsingersynndrome.com slash Amazon anyways, let's get on to this week's episode and my conversation with Southern california 's finest Mr. Scott Lewis of Cardifax.
1: Hell shows me. Center vocal check.
0: Center, center vocal check. Can we start right there?
1: Let's we'll start right there.
0: Isn't that the worst part of, of being a singer? Having to check the microphone over and over again and having to say <laughs> things? Or is your sound guy pretty fast?
1: Uh, we do work with great engineers, uh, but I don't try to be funny. I just literally stand there and go, hey, 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 one, two, hey, hey, check, check, for until yes, they tell me to stop. I do
0: too. I go, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Microphone, ch- it's, yeah. I, my because days of get, making
1: a joke of it are over. I just do it. After
0: you've been doing it for more than 10 years, like, come on, what are you going to do? I used to do I stupid no things jokes. where I'd pick a subject and I'd be like, I'd pick f- I'd food and I'd start, I'd go, apple, banana, carrot, and I'd just... That requires too much thought. Way
1: too much thought. I'm usually texting at the same time or <laughs> writing an email. <laughs> right, man. I'm here
0: with Scott from Cardifex. Uh, nice to have you back in Canada.
1: Great to be back.
0: Uh, let's go with the classic how is the tour going so far question.
1: The tour is going fantastic, actually, which is not something that can always be said. Uh, but this tour is doing quite well and, uh, it's, I'm happy.
0: And is it, are you guys doing a co-bill with Despised? Is it you guys? As of lining? today, yeah.
1: As of today, so it's kind of for the Canadian dates. Yeah, well, I guess... I mean, they, yeah, you know, they're closing that out, but it's COVID. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, how that stuff goes.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. It's, for the most part, yeah. it's
1: we're team. We, we're working together. Yeah. We're a team here. It's a team effort. <laughs> it's a team effort. Yeah. Uh, it was cool because, like, you know, we've known to despise guys for a long time. They took us out a long time ago. We went to Europe with them for the first time. Yep. Uh, you know, so it's it was cool. I just hit up Alex and. Uh, we just made it happen and cool. kind of just made it work where, you know, the managers and the agents and right. everyone was, what about this? What about that? We're like, we'll just, <laughs> let us, we'll figure it out. Let's figure it out. We'll make it work. Sure. <laughs>
0: no, that's great. And um, what are your thoughts in Canada? You, you Like some, I know you guys are from San Diego. Mm-hmm. Obviously you're American, whatever. Usually Americans tend to like Canada. They think it's cute. Uh, but also being from San Diego, like growing up, you never experienced any kind of winter weather, did you?
1: No, I grew up in Los Angeles, and then uh, we, uh, you know, my family, moved uh, right before I went into junior high. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, my weather went from great in L.A. to better in San Diego. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't actually. I was never in physically in snow until I went on tour.
0: Right. Uh, I just imagine that, like, like we we did a record one time with a guy Cameron Webb, who's producer from. I guess he's from like grew up in Newport Beach. And it was the same thing. He came up here to do one of our records. It's like dead of winter.
1: This culture shock. And
0: he's like, I don't know, like, because we, you know, we rent a car for him, whatever. He's yeah. like, I've never driven the snow. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. And this is like, guy's like 30, 35. He's not yeah. a kid, right? He's like freaking out. So I just imagine you guys being like, all right, we're doing our first like winter tour, mm-hmm. East Coast, whatever, February. What was that like for you guys as a bunch of kids from? Southern California.
1: Um, well, probably much like you, man. I spent my entire 20s on the road. I, sure. s- I started touring when I was 21. So it was like, I've not only was I like growing up just in general and, right. and surviving my 20s, yeah. but I was on the road for all of it. So it was kind of like figuring out how to drive with a van and trailer in <laughs> the snow was just one more thing on a very – long list of like, make it to the next day, you right. know, and it was right. like Get through it. Yeah, it was yeah. like finding out what winter tires are. We didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> we just yeah. thought there was tires. Yep. And then you get out there and they're like, well, what about your winter tires? We're like, well, we got the tire. I don't know. What what winter tires are you talking about? <laughs> so, funny. I know, it's, it seems bizarre, but it was just stuff we never encountered. Like so many things, you know, the the snow is... I guess a good analogy. So for so many other things that you just didn't know about.
0: Right, right. I like that. I uh, yeah. It, it is funny too, man. How you go from there's this transition, right, where you go from being excited, your kids, mm-hmm. you're in a van, and you never think about like a career. No. You think about do we have enough money to get to the next show? Do we have like some place to sleep? We don't really care where, just someplace. No. Uh, And is there, like, anyone at the shows? And then eventually, as your band gets bigger and bigger, you know, you get spoiled in some ways. But there's never, like, a defining moment when that happens, is there? Or do you think there is?
1: No, I think it's incremental. I think, yeah, I think you go from, like, being so happy to even have a show to play. Right. And then it's we're playing out of town. I remember the first time. I still remember like the first time we played out of San Diego. Yeah, and that was like a thing. That was cool. You know, we like got all our friends together. We're like, we all got to go up there. You know, make this big show. We played up in Orange County and we played in in Fullerton. And it's just incremental. And then I I remember the first time we had a good merch night. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, do you remember, and it was like three hundred dollars, but that was like you know normally it's yeah. like you was sell like four sure, sure, and that's that's just what, is what it is, you know, because we were over there for national acts and just playing backyard shows and those types mm-hmm. of things, but I remember this, this the first time when we made three hundred bucks on merch, I couldn't believe it, you know, and that I remember those those little steps of just getting there, and I remember when. We finally got like a real trailer, and we were like, "So right. I remember the first tour we did where we had like our double axle, like big like drop gate trailer, right? And everyone else like has got six their,
0: by twelve or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: well seven by twelve. Yeah, everyone has their little shot ass trailers, and we roll up on the tour. And we got the real trailer. I remember <laughs> that moment, you know. And it's like, I, yeah, it's just incremental. You get there bit by bit, and then it's like, you do. now." like this tour uh you know I I do all the accounting for the band and the business for the band it's like this this tour was like our biggest merch order ever right you know what i mean so now there's that milestone i have a $48,000 merch bill waiting for me at right home come. you know so it's like there's always like these little markers you know and it's like we're it's cool cuz we've been around for 12 years but like we had such a slow crawl. Right. Like we we really struggled for so long and I, it's not like we made it now but things are more I guess consistent at least.
0: Absolutely. That's you, that's a great way to put it. And I always felt like your band uh I want to start from the beginning actually but but I always felt like your band had a bit of a rough like ride in terms of like people taking you guys seriously
1: oh you're t- your nail on the head
0: yeah and i mean maybe that stems a little bit from the victory thing which mm-hmm. is obviously a huge thing my band went through we did four records with victory like yeah so uh, maybe that's where it stems from but but let's, let's go even further back and like obviously you say you're from los angeles originally moved to san diego how did you get into becoming a uh, Metal singer, (laughs) I mean, for lack of a better, yeah. Like, what? what You got? Obviously, got some heard some band. You got decided you wanted to be a part of something.
1: It was actually it was actually theater. You know, I was in drama, uh, like drama class at school, and live theater was something I was always interested in. Okay. Um, You know, I I, there's a lot of musicals I watched as a kid that impacted me. Um, I remember just. My only sort of friend group or clique group was the live theater group, right. so like when we would do the plays, uh, I just you know I was always around people that were performing and creating some type of art, you know right uh, and granted, you know, uh, junior high school plays are probably walking <laughs> the line of art. but the point was I was around people putting getting on stage and doing something that people watched right and then from there it turned into me trying to be a drummer and being okay enough to jam with garage bands yeah Yeah. and then just realized that i was more drawn to writing and sort of like the creative aspect of it outside of the technicality of the music more like right more of like the emotional aspect Ooh, of song. We got a dance,
0: a little dance party going on here. <laughs> this is wonderful. Sorry,
1: continue. Uh, like the more you know, as a vocalist, I'm not sure if you play an instrument, yeah. I play guitar and okay, some drums and bass. So, like, I consider myself a songwriter, but uh, more in like almost the producer aspect rather than the I'm going to pick up a guitar and play a riff. Yeah, what I can do is I can sit down with musicians. And put together a song. That's my skill set. Right. So it's like, I kind of was more drawn to that early on. And maybe I didn't have like the instrumental gift. Yep. Rather than like, I kind of had the ear gift, if sure. that makes any sense. I
0: absolutely get it. I totally get it.
1: Yeah. So uh, that was kind of there early on. And I think I always just liked writing and telling stories. Yep. yep. And, you know, like the adventure movies of the 80s were like huge for me. Cool. So that kind of instilled this idea to want to like just have narrative you know and talk absolutely. about things absolutely absolutely so at this time you're in you're talking about junior high and stuff mm-hmm.
0: uh, what was your family structure like did you have like your parents together your brothers and sisters yeah
1: so i had an older sister um she had her own set of struggles i had a much younger brother that uh you know everything was great but he was just much younger than Mm -hmm. me so it wasn't there was not a whole lot of like social interaction like we didn't share a friend group or anything like that um my parents were fairly strict uh early on until they got divorced they got divorced when i was 14 and then it was like then it was the free for all (laughs) no rules after that right (laughs) and subsequently i ended up dropping out of high school a few years after when i was 16. Uh, and that was when I really sort of left the live theater and just did all bands. Right. Uh, and I just was, that's when I just started doing bands and I tried real hard to like, I don't know that make a career. I don't think I thought in terms of make a career in a band, but I tried real hard to be in a band that I thought sounded good at least, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, so, so it was like Carnifex in terms of your you know, you say you start touring at 21, 16s when you started with bands. Were you pretty much with the same kind of guys or were you in a bunch of different bands uh, in high school?
1: Uh, I mean, you know how it is. I think it's like one or two guys are like always in the band. Like it's a right, different right. dude, like, but it's like always like someone that was in that band. Because there's like band. one
0: really good drummer or maybe two drummers in the whole scene. Yeah. Right. Of course, so especially it, in metal.
1: Yeah. So it's, it was pretty incestuous as far as band members go. Right. And. um. Yeah, it was just, you know, you try to make it happen and, you know, like, there's always, pardon me, there's always a guy that's like this dedicated and there's the guy that like, I don't want to give up my Saturday night and you know how it goes. So you just go through that process and I got to the point where I sort of just, you know, it ran its course at about 19 and I was working quite a bit and just, you know, that was that. And then I met Sean a year after that, uh, when I was twenty, and we started Carnifex in August of two thousand five. There you go. Yeah.
0: And here we and here we are. Uh, it's been a meandering road.
1: Tell me uh, about
0: for it. you guys. Um, now, obviously, we have a big common thing to talk about here, both being Victory alumni artists, um, both survivors. Did you put four records out? Or three? we did three. Three. We, we did four yeah. as well. We did four. Now, did you guys finish your your deal? How did it work? Because there was a bit of a hiatus thing. I'm kind of yeah. wondering, actually, let's start with how did you first get hooked up with Victory? How did that happen?
1: We were on tour with the Mirror in June of two thousand and seven, right? And Victory came out to a show to watch them play, and we were on the tour with them. Oh wow, uh, so, so they they gave them an offer like the week after that. And they gave us an offer in September. So June just was two and a half, three months. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And back then, uh, you know, you're, you're clueless. We did the total clueless 21-year-old sign a contract without a lawyer thing. Oh, boy. Um, basically, it was Darkest Hours on Victory. Right. Um, uh, between the me on Victory. Our friends in a mirror. Pardon me. Or on victory.
0: Yeah.
1: Or you know, just signed to victory. So when you get a when you go from doing your debut record, which we did on like it's a total indie for yeah. six hundred bucks. That's what was our budget, <laughs> six hundred dollars. I know, right? And then you see a contract that says twenty thousand, right. you're like, Why why wouldn't we sign right. this? You look at all the bands that are on it. Right. Our friends just signed. And the was blowing up right then. Yeah. So we saw how good they were doing and it was like this is what we need to do. Duh. Sure. Right? Yeah.
0: But you must have heard some of the horror stories.
1: I mean. No. No. Like, you
0: can just Google it, really. Like. I, I mean, mean. Maybe not in the Met. Like, there weren't all the, all the metal bands you mentioned, but of course, like, there was a the whole thing with, like, well, Treyu. The Treyu is a Southern California band. They yeah. had,
1: you know. I think at that point, what was this, like. I guess you think that, like, those are, like, those are big bands. They have their own problems. That's not us. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's like, they're a Treyu, like, oh, there's probably like big lawyer and management and they're selling millions of records and like, well, it's, that, what does that have to do with us? Right. We're just a metal band. Like, we're never going to be that bad, so why does...
0: But, what, well, you know? that's the same thing that happened with Solar Standard. Yeah, I mean, we, you're we, like... We, I remember we were in the studio... We're doing our debut. Our debut record for victory. Uh-huh. We only had like ten grand. That was only our, ours. Our budget, which which at the time the exchange rate it was great because it was like sixty. It was like oh, okay. one sixty. So it was like sixteen grand to oh, make a record, which was pretty good. Hey, that works out. So I remember we were in the studio and uh, Taking Back Sunday had just crossed a hundred thousand records sold. Oh wow! And that's like for us. It was like, that's crazy. That never had happened to us. And we said to our producer, if we ever saw a hundred thousand. This record sells 100,000, we'll like buy you this like crazy amp we were using or whatever. The record sold well over 100,000 copies, and we never bought him the fucking amp. Oh, come on now. What a bunch of pricks. Come on now. Oh, we're like, oh, when we sell 100,000 records, we'll be swimming in money. (laughs) Dude, we'll be like, you know. Yeah, right. But that's not how it works. I know you guys sold probably 100,000 records too over Uh, uh, over the course of your career. With
1: victory, yeah. I mean, we sold 90,000 with victory between the three records, and uh, you know, the record prior I think is at 28000 which yeah, was I mean, huge for an indie solid, that's why solid. they came to us with the money Is that you know we had right. the MySpace hype was like real and it like yeah. you could sell you could sell records because of MySpace in 2007 could. and we did We you know that, that first record sold quite a bit um, and yeah and no we never got a check from them I mean we got our checks for the studio right? Well, we didn't the people did that we, you know because our budget was entirely went to the studio. Well, they
0: need a re- they need a something they need what do you want to call it? <sighs> an inventory. Like they need yeah, a prod yeah. they need a product right, to right. sell. So of course they have to pay those people. Yeah. But, I mean I've I've heard mm. of Victory stiffing like producers before. I don't know if it's all true. I'm it's hearsay but you know.
1: Yeah, I mean I know the guys we worked with got paid. That's all yeah. I can attest to. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean I could tell like I said 90,000 records on and I never got a check. Well, from them.
0: well, you've been pretty candid in some interviews about being like. I mean, I've heard you call Victory a shit label.
1: Have I? I mean, maybe that was our drummer. I try to okay. be a little more diplomatic. Okay, uh, I can respect
0: that. Then, then I'm sorry to put words in your mouth like that. Uh, but you know, did you? How did it all shake out with Victory? were there a lot of problems and how did you end up moving on from the label and now you're I just, you're still here and you still have a great career
1: yeah I just think that um, I think that you know when you sign a band you should let them do them and mm-hmm. uh, we were very restricted in things we were able to do not necessarily directly but it's just like the amount of money that we had and how far it had to go yeah it means you can only pick from this pool of producers. It means you can only shoot these kind of music videos. Yeah, and it was just limiting. And that's—I'm not saying that we need some blank check to go out and do it, but to use an example uh, with Nuclear Blast, we went to them. We had it—you know, hey—they gave us X amount of dollars for for music videos. Right. I wrote up some treatments. I sat down with the with the label manager, who's an amazing guy. Uh, like really a guy That gets it and said Look this is gonna cost more But here's where it's going This is what we believe in Like this is the way To put the record and he looked through And he's like No we're on board Yeah what, right. do you, what do you need We'll do it And then guess what We had the best First week ever Chart ever And when the, Our career should be In the shitter Cause we're a MySpace band That's been out Around for 12 <laughs> years On record 6 Like we're, we should've been done Right Like 5 years ago You know
0: So then uh Sorry, man? Oh,
1: really? This is cool. Uh, I'm not drinking, know. if that matters. Uh,
0: you still got to make sure you can be identified worst case scenario, right? I'm
1: an old man, 32. This has never go. happened yeah. in the
0: middle of my podcast You're before. You're months it's older crazy. than I am. I'm not an old man. <laughs> I'm an old man
1: either, right? Well, yeah. Now, a, now my age man. is on the podcast. There
0: you
1: go. Uh, I am uh, a, yeah, I'm a mess. Try and
0: find a light spot. There, there you go. Perfect. Thank you, my go. friend. Have a good show, guys. There we go. This shit's real, man. I'm not gonna edit that either. No, leave this it in. is the real. This is the struggle is real. Yeah. But okay, but but I mean, you talk about the stuff like you have the best first Weeks, record six. Yeah. Nuclear blast and nuclear blast not as big a label as Victory, not even close.
1: Well, they are now. Well,
0: they are. <laughs> and uh, but also, you know, but well, right now
1: they are. But you, you, also, I, I I will put one little aside in there. Yeah. Globally, they've always been bigger. That's fair. Absolutely. I've been to that German office, and you're like, "What's this band? I've never heard of." Yeah, three million records sold. You're like, "Well, that's crazy." And then you look over here, and it's like some giant photo they blew up of them that sold out. You're like, "I didn't know Epica sold out twenty thousand tickets in Germany." Well, turns out they
0: do. Germany is crazy. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you guys have done like Rock and Ring or those festivals. We we
1: have not that particular one, but we have done some big ones. Some of the
0: big ones there, and like you'll look at the headliners, they'll be like. Like, who the fuck is in Extremo? You know what I mean? Like, some band headlining, and it's just like this yeah. massive German band. It's like massive. the weirdest music. But, it, you know, th- they know what they're doing over there, man, for sure. They do. But, but, I mean, my question was was you see the success you can have if you put a little into it. Yeah. A little bit of money and a label that's understanding the, the direction. There must be a. I don't want to say a regret because it's a strong word, but there must be like a, like, fuck, if on our second record or third record we really could do what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could be...
1: You know, we've had that conversation in the band, and I've had that conversation with myself. Uh, And it's one of those things where, like, I look at the Victory experience, and it had its challenges, without question. It had a lot of challenges. But it also kind of was like a... Refined in the fire Type of thing Like it really made us The band we are today Uh, And It wasn't It gives you resiliency Oh it does And it makes you It it makes you figure out How to find a way You know So because of that uh, We learned a lot of lessons Because of that experience And they were hard lessons But we learned them And I think You know like things like When a label comes to you And says Oh hey We want the record This time Previously, we were just were kind of like, well, I guess that's when we have to do it. But with NB, it was like, when are you guys thinking about doing a record, and we go, well, we need time to write, so we waited twenty eight months. Which for bands like us, you get the it, agents. I can't twenty eight months. You guys got to give me a record in that. I can't put you out. Right. on the, oh, a lot. I need a record every sixteen months. You know, right. And it just doesn't work for us. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah. just, a we're slow writers. Yeah. B we're huge rewriters. See, we tour a shitload, and we do not ride on the road because we just—we
0: don't ride on the road either. We just we
1: just look okay, at when you're your own crew, and I mean, we're doing a bus on this tour, yes, but uh, for the, all the other tours, we've done a van. We do our own driving, we push our own gear, like we usually TM ourselves. We usually just bring a sound engineer and a merch person, you know, right? And it's like there's no—and look, I mean, okay, you can't—the mm-hmm. listeners can't see it, but we're in a backstage room, and it's not—it's nowhere to pull your guitar out, and track riffs.
0: Not really, man. And
1: this is the everyday, you know? This is the norm. So riding on the road doesn't work. So I think part of the reason those NB records have done so well was, yeah, NB knows what the fuck they're doing, and they know when to let an artist do his thing, and like trust their vision and say, okay, we're behind it. But uh, also is... we know. Uh, we knew. Like, look, we need to give ourselves time, and they trusted us with that. Yeah. And look at the results we got. We got Die Without Hope, which was our second best first week. Was our first best until, yeah, you know, until Slow Death came out. And it, it's just a great team effort of them knowing when to hang back and right. them knowing when to come in and support us. Do you
0: think the hiatus helped you though? Like, like taking uh, whatever it was, like a year,
1: it helped or, me up here, right. You know, I was kind of fucked up, too. I was going through a lot of personal stuff. So it was like I sort of lost my vision for what I was even doing. Your direction. Yeah. Like, what what is this band? What's the thesis of Carnifex? Like, why am I here? Why am I on stage? What am I talking about? Mm. What do we mean to the people that are listening? What are we trying to say? I sort of lost this that.
0: thing things got convoluted
1: and. In- when you're, thinking yeah. about it, you're saying
0: you do the business of the band. You're doing the. You're worrying about all these logistical things and not thinking about it, the creative side.
1: Yeah, and it was just like yeah, we were having a lot of problems on the business side, and it was just like we went from being you know jamming in Sean's bedroom to where we were, and we never got a second to stop and process it all and be like, where right. are we now? Where are we going? Right. And the hiatus enabled us to do that. Where are we now? Where are we going? What do we want to do? Like before, it was always just survive. That was our existence. Get to the next day. Get this tour. Sell this merch. That's it. That was all we thought in terms of. And then when we had the break, you got. It probably sounds pretentious, but it was like you was able to like be like, what What's the vision here? What are we trying to say? What do we want to be? Yeah. You know, and that was where, like, I think that's partially why people are responding to the records more.
0: Sure. Well, what did you do, personally, for whatever it was that you I, a year?
1: Yeah, it was 18 months. We were off the road. I wrote, me and Sean wrote Dive Without Hope together, just like we wrote Dead in My Arms together. And it was just me going over to his uh, apartment, and he'd play riffs, and I'd say, that's cool, that sucks, that's cool, that sucks. Mm-hmm. So that's how we wrote Dive Without Hope. And then I was working... uh i was working for a guy named paul conroy a name you might know yeah. uh he w- at he at the time he was managing some uh business assets f- for uh rob dierdick the skater and he had a athlete management company called crush sports management and i was working for them right uh doing ath- athlete management i was like a day-to-day guy for Paul and another oh, agent crazy. that worked there, a guy named Keith. Different, it, world. different world, same exact sports guy. Um, I like hockey. Oh, in oh the well, right place. Kings fan, uh, and uh, and I like MMA. Although it's like totally, I'm like pretty liberal, so it's like completely opposite of what you would think. It's like such a meathead sport but uh, I do like <laughs> MMA for whatever reason. Sure. And uh, so they were managing uh, MMA fighters. Okay. And they were managing like X Games athletes. Right. So it was... So it was
0: not, not mainstream
1: sports. Well, I mean... Well, you know what I mean. I mean MMA,
0: I mean, you know what I mean, though. Not like baseball players or... No, it, wasn't, kind of it wasn't
1: like NBA, NFL yeah, yeah. type stuff. But yeah, so it was a different medium, but a lot mm-hmm. of the things that I did as like a tour manager... And and like dealing with agents and managers in the band capacity, there was a lot of very similar things in sure. that job. It's it
0: entertainment just, too, right?
1: It was really the same thing. People go somewhere; they need stuff done. There's an itinerary. Get this guy on flights. It was. It's like all the same right. stuff. You're just not sending them to a venue. You're sending them to like the the X Games or the whatever. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of the same stuff. So there was a lot of parallels where that was a pretty easy position to step into. And the guy that I was working for directly, uh, who was a really great guy, he had, he had just stepped away from being a manager for a lot of bands as well. Right. So we both came from the same world. Paul, obviously, yeah, was from the music was, world. Was
0: Good Fight? Was, he, was he that was, his company?
1: Initially, he was with Good Fight, or Channel Zero as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I know he
0: stepped away from band management, and, and so that's interesting. Um, yeah, I remember I went to uh, I went to Leafs game this year,
1: and they played the Kings, and I believe... It was seven nothing Kings. Uh, we got
0: crushed.
1: They're, the Kings are very manic. They will Ugh. they will go crush a team, and you're like, yeah, and yeah. then and then you're like, I'll be on IG and I'll see like the results, and I'll be like, one to five to the Coyotes. What the fuck? well, yeah, well, know, what
0: have you done? They're kind of a slow team. I mean, Ginla, they got a Ginla right. That's kind of a crazy pickup. Yeah, He's and, a old man.
1: But. Yeah, and they they they're a team that I really feel like just sort of. He messes around in the in the begin in the early season and then when he gets close to playoffs they're like, Oh okay, yeah, I guess we should win some games. And I then you you know, they did that in, in uh what, twelve when they won yeah. the cup, they were like the whole beginning of the season was like a disaster and then they just well, eat they, by every step of they, the way. But that was when they were the eighth seed. Yeah, and they and they were down weren't they down
0: 3 nothing, and they came back and won the cup
1: uh, yeah just the ducks yeah, I'm just like Insane you're thing. stressing me out here like they lose every game possible and then just win <laughs> them all in a row you're like okay that's cool but don't do that again I'm glad we can we do this a lot on the
0: podcast where we go off on tangents and talk about random sports games uh- we took it all we brought them to our last an endless night Ember hot and icy cold, the rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga,
1: Hellblade 2.
0: Play it now with Game Pass. Uh, the um, But back to the, the hiatus and, and, you know, we talked about the success you guys had recently with your records charting higher and stuff. Do you think going away, people would like, maybe people took your band for granted a little bit? Like, as we talked about early on, mm-hmm. you were always sort of the under-the-radar band. You maybe weren't getting on the coolest tours. You maybe weren't getting,
1: Or if we were, you know, we were one of.
0: Sure. Things like that. You yeah. weren't getting treated amazingly. No. And, but you have real fans. We do. And when all of a sudden you guys are like, yeah, you know, we're, we're gone, or whatever, we're taking a break, we don't know what we're doing.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Like you know, Scott's got to get his shit together. Yeah. Were the fans like when you guys were finally back? they like, "Oh fuck! Like we need to support this band. We missed this band. This band is actually special." Do you uh, think that, that was a, there was an element of that to it? An element. To I, I definitely
1: effect? do. You know, there's that. What was that movie where they said going out of business is yeah. good for business? Uh, right, right. I think there's something to that. Um, and also, I think I think it was all those things you said. And when we came back, I think it was a good record. So I think it was, like, yeah. everything together. I everything think we came also, back with great a shot. Label. Yeah, great, great label, too. I think if we came back with a shot record, it probably wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> but thankfully, we we were able to write a record that connected, and the label, like, believed in us, which was awesome. And we also, like, had a great agent yeah. that, like, believed in us, too, and a great manager. And, it, like, it, we were just got kind of fortunate that people, like, that kind of knew, like, we were always, like, in the fight, like the good guys, when we came back, and then it's like now, and now we have this label that's really like behind the band. That was like, I think, changed a lot of people's attitudes about us.
0: For sure, for sure. Well, there's also the whole like, I mean, you guys have been like, called, labeled a like deathcore band. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you care about that label if uh, that was even it probably wasn't even a label when you started the band so in 2005
1: it was not no
0: but <laughs> uh, you know your style of music that you guys are, are associated with it's kind of gone the way of Screamo like my band and, oh, and there's always the, like dead, there's yeah. only a couple bands left in some of these genres and you're yeah. one of them so you come back after 18 months and it's like oh fuck like
1: <laughs> hold on to them we're, like, we're yeah. still here and
0: then a lot of bands that you probably were touring were gone uh, like is that ever thought in your mind about
1: absolutely, that yeah? Or, or do you kind of just ignore it? No, it's a thought, man. I mean, look at the landscape from when we started and when we got some notoriety. Oh five, oh six. Who is still around from then? Like it's yeah. it's, it's almost it's suicide silence. White well, Cha- yeah. Whitechapel. Uh, I mean, they started right. a, about a year and a half after us, but yes, Whitechapel, and then. Despise is you know sure. well, is they, back they, on it, yeah, but it's yeah, on again, off again. Yeah. Too, yeah, so it's like, who else? Like all those heavy hitters yeah. are gone. Job is gone. All shall perish is gone. Right. You know, like you name them, all those big MySpace bands, just, they just are done. You know, for what different reasons? And uh, I mean, it is how we made it. I don't know. Maybe being under the radar and being on Victory was like the blessing in disguise because people didn't get burned out on us. You know, yeah I don't you, know you, yeah
0: like this is, this is the thing this is why we talk about this shit it's like it's it's interesting man like you know I always talk like when I talk to bigger artists and stuff on this show um a lot of them have had like previous success like a huge song on the radio they yeah. sold all these records and a lot of those bands really don't last yeah. because when you when you have this hype whether it's MySpace hype or radio hype or whatever hype uh you you get a lot of fake fucks coming to your show. Sure. A lot of people that are there because it's cool, because right. it's the latest thing. I'm going to wear a Carnifex shirt because not because I really like the band, but because this chick I think is hot thinks right. the band's cool. You know, and eventually that style goes away and in this whether well, there's no substance, it doesn't matter, right? So yeah. I feel like with your band, you've had the substance. So you've been able to maintain a good level with real fans coming out I mean I was just standing in line yeah. waiting for you to, to come out and get me it's just like every kid just wearing a Carnifex shirt like
1: well, they're stoked man <laughs> they're stoked yeah you know we do have real fans and I think what's funny I think some of the reason we have real fans is something we got a lot of shit for in the beginning which is because my lyric style is very different than most deathcore bands especially deathcore bands from our era the old 506 deathcore bands were all about like sort of the Cannibal Corpse worship lyrics and I never took that approach I always wrote these sort of like emo lyrics but they could have been like you know they could have they could have been like you know Thursday lyrics essentially right? I mean maybe you know he's probably not dropping as many F-bombs but it was more about like personal <laughs> I wrote about personal shit right. I didn't write about like hacking people up right. and stuff like that I it just I could never relate to that and go, kind of going back to like how I ended up here like I was drawn to narrative through being feeling a connection through the movies I saw and the human emotions in those films. And so and then also my early musical influences like Nine Inch Nails and um uh, like the grunge bands
0: uh, Man, and I guess to tell you, Nine Inch Nine Nails probably for me biggest lyrical influence. Oh yeah, Trent. No Trent's one talks about how great Nine Inch Nails lyrics are.
1: They're fantastic, and they saved my life. And that's a, that's a true wow. story. I had a lot of lows in my life where, literally, having Trent's voice uh, in my ear saying what I'm feeling and going like, "Well, I guess I don't, I'm not the only person that feels like this." At least I can wow. listen to Trent. Wow. Uh, you know that was that was huge for me. And so I think I felt like compelled, probably through hero worship, but also just through like going back to like why am I here to like write about something that matters. Now, granted, when you're writing your first record, you don't really know how to do that, so the lyrics are probably garbage. But the intent was there, right? You know, you know mm-hmm. and and now many years later, I feel like I do know how to not only write a good song musically, but lyrically. I feel like I can. Write something that c- conveys the emotion I want to convey.
0: Crazy, yeah. No, um. Are you when you write lyrics? What's your what's your approach approach? Do you like? Do you just kind of sit on
1: your couch and work? Do you, are you a fast writer? Are you a slow writer? I'm a, I'm a cumulative writer. I write all all the time, the time right? and You're a journal guy. S- squirrel it away, mm-hmm. and then I, I work so much in the with the music process. So immediately when I'm getting riffs, I'm already like attaching little oh. lyric ideas to it. And then I'll go in and, and me and Sean do all the arranging, we'll arrange a song and then I'll already kinda of have an idea of where what that song is gonna be and what lyrics are gonna live with that song. And then it's kind of a middle out process. I'll build my choruses as like those are my main points. I really wanna focus on right. lyrics here that are relatable. Memorable but have the little hook in them right you know sure and then I'll fill out the verses once I have those anchors with yeah the, with the theme that the song is It's funny that's
0: that's probably the smart way to do it and the right way to do it but I think <laughs> a lot of people are like, what's the first line of the song and they start there and then it kind yeah. of builds and then you know I always tell people when they when they ask about you know, how do I write lyrics? how do I write lyrics? And I always say like stay away from the perfect rhymes. Yeah Like the You know The fire and desire Sure Like yeah. and when you start writing, Because then What happens is Instead of You writing
1: the song The song writes you Yeah you're just trying to find A word that rhymes
0: You know yeah. what I mean And then and then all of a sudden You're like okay Well that's not the perfect line For what I want to say But it's okay but it's Next okay. line And then you're you got So far off track Right So I think you're right When you start with a chorus That that's the main idea then you can really work it backwards and be like, okay, how are these two verses or verse and bridge, whatever it is, how are they going to relate to my point? Which is, yeah. hey, you're you're teaching me things. <laughs> it's
1: good. Yeah, I think what it is is because like when I think in terms of story, you know, because when I write, whether I'm writing a script or something that's right. like in a not novel type form. You don't. The first scene is not necessarily what you see in your head. And then you don't come to like the big reveal on page 68. You kind of have the big reveal in your head. You're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, if like this thing happened? And then you figure out, how do I get to that thing? Right. And it's sort of the same approach with the songwriting. It's like, I really like this chorus. This says something. Okay, cool. Now I just got to get myself there. Yeah. I have my destination. Now I just got to get there. And Mm -hmm. so when I, you know, when I'm writing outside of music, it's the same approach. I have my concept, my theme, and my big moments, right? Just like you know, you have your big moments in your movies. You're like your, your Oscar speeches or whatever, right? And you just gotta get yourself there. Everything else is just the scenes to get you there. You know, I've heard it was I can't think of the director now. I wish I could remember his name and give him the credit for it. But basically, what he was saying was like, look, like you don't write a movie from page one. All you do is think of these moments, these human moments, and then you just get yourself there and get yourself to the next one. And that's kind of that approach with choruses. Not to say the verses don't matter, but it's similar process. Like the choruses are what matter, and I just gotta get myself there. You there know? you go. It's cool. I, I get. am exposing
0: I'm thinking, all my secrets. No, I'm thinking <laughs> about now. That, like he's talking about how your lyrics are different than a lot of bands in deathcore, and they're. I mean, they're obviously just so much more relatable. Like, who can really relate to? Like, I mean, I love Campbell Corpse as much as the next guy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not like listening to Fuck with a Knife and being like, oh yeah, this is uh, sure. This was my last Saturday night. Like, yeah, where, that's like, that's Broken. Like, yeah. That's not. You know, it's it's more of a effect. So I wonder if that makes fans have a deeper connection to your band.
1: It, it does. It's possible. I believe that it does, and I believe that it draws a different kind of fan. Yeah. Not to uh, yeah. take anything away from anybody's fan base.
0: Oh, um, I want Corpse Grinder on the show, man, so bad. That's Cor- great. Corpse Grinder's
1: actually a good friend. I, oh, yeah? Can he you is, put it in a good word for me? I'll, I will. Because
0: uh, um, I'm a huge Cannibal fan.
1: We so. get, we did the tour with them last summer, and then we did a European tour with them. And they're. Honestly, like those guys have the least amount of rock stars oh, I believe ever. It. They're just. Five dudes still playing metal, no egos, no rock star. I just like we always joke like, if we ever make it to like 45 and we're still playing metal, let's just be like those guys. It's just so nice and it's no BS, you know. I love it. But uh, yeah, it's like I just try to write stuff that someone's gonna listen to and be like, I feel the same way. You know.
0: Right on. Man. That's awesome. I also want to ask a little bit about before I I'll let you go. I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. I
1: know. Yeah, I'm going go to go. show about to go on food. and
0: everything. Uh, but uh, just vocally, like your vocal approach, your style singing. Do you have? I always really love to ask metal guys. Like, are, can you sing at all? Like clean singing? Like, or are you just a fucking full-on screamer?
1: Um, you know, I did some singing when I did the theater group. Right. And I, I guess. The term singing is probably pretty relative at this point. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. I I probably could do some form. I can carry a note. Uh, But like screaming, uh, it would probably take me a while to get confident with it. Yeah. I think a big thing about, you know, I, I, I am happy with the voice I have on stage. And a big part of that is you have to have the confidence to believe in that voice and push that voice. And it's the same thing with theater. Like, when you're the biggest hurdle for like a new person on stage when you're young is that confidence to project. And in that projection is where you really find your voice. You know, when, when you just go all in. Think of like the timid drummer, it wouldn't work. Right, it wouldn't work. You, no. gotta, you gotta go ham. That's the only way the drums sound good. And similar for the vocals, not necessarily in effort, but in mentality. Yeah. like you have to believe in your voice, and when you believe in your voice, I think that's where you, you you get the sounds you want as a vocalist, whether you're singing or screaming. Yeah, I believe in my voice as a screamer, so I can get what I want. And it would take me some time to believe my voice as a singer, but I think I could get there if I needed to.
0: Would you ever try to do a different kind of musical project? Like, is that something you're interested in doing, or is it just all Carnifex? Car-
1: Probably all Carnifex. Carnifex, nice. my baby. You know, I started there you Carnifex. Go. I, it's like. I live it I breathe it I don't get a second away from it I don't know if I have the energy to do another band and like deal with booking shows and write right, I, already
0: so much to. Yeah. my
1: bandwidth for music is already full I'm I'm really focusing on film and television writing and this graphic novel I'm I'm doing oh, so cool. that's my that's, talk about
0: that a little bit can people check that out
1: yeah so it's, it's uh, the script or the manuscript for the graphic novel is finished right now I'm working with a production company that does uh, comics and has a stable of artists and inkers and all those people that are going to help me adapt it uh, from script form into all the panels. And I'm hoping to have it out in the summer. Cool. but it's my first time. It's a long process. It may end up being the fall.
0: Sure, great, man. Well, hey, thanks uh, again for
1: taking on your time, and uh, hope you have a great show tonight. Thank and, you very much. Uh, make my make my people proud in Toronto. A oh, we'll the show, yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to follow me online, uh, Instagram at Scott Ian Lewis. Scott Ian, I know, same, same, same name. Scott Ian Lewis at yeah. Scott Ian Lewis. There yeah. it is. Yeah. follow him.
0: Follow him. He takes nice pictures and he loves hockey. So there you go. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thank it. you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks. Man. All right, hey, great. That's cool. That's cool. Whoop! There it is with Scott. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Oh man, what he just honest, honest, honest guy. Loved this conversation. Loved him talking about songwriting. That was super cool too. Definitely if you're an aspiring writer, there's definitely some great shit in there. He he spilled his secrets. He even said it. So thanks a lot to Scott for doing this last minute. And thanks to Mike Mowry for setting it up. Next week we will be back as always Monday. Make sure you're subscribed. And again, if you like the show... Help us spread the word Tell a friend Tell a loved one Tell your mom Tell your dad I don't know Maybe they're Deathcore fans Who knows We do all different kinds of music On Lead Singer Syndrome The only thing That's the common denominator Is it has to be a lead singer I will leave you with the tune As always This is probably the heaviest shit I've ever played At the end of an episode So fasten your seatbelts Here's Card Effects With Die Without Hope On Lead Singer Syndrome And we we'll see you next week
1: I'm the
0: You're still here. Oh, it's so nice that you stuck around through the whole metal song to hear me talk about one last thing, which is the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. I kept it short in the intro, but if you got this far, I'm sure you are a big fan of the show. You've probably listened to other episodes. Thank you so much. And I really just want to tell you one more time about what the All Access Club really is. I'll ask as you to check out the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash access Now, there's... I believe four different tiers that go all the way from $6 up to $75 uh, per month. Uh Subscribing, and you can get all different kinds of stuff. You get access to the merch store. We have some really, really cool stuff it's in stock right now we've got t- shirts we've got hoodies we've got enamel pins we've got mugs. and the only way you can get that stuff is if you're a member of the club and the merch is actually pretty cheap too. so you will you know we're going to make some money obviously in the long run, and that's the point of this is for the support um, if you like the show, it is free. Um, I do this out of the goodness of my heart, but it would be nice to be able to make some money and, and, you know, be able to grow this thing and be able to do some special things with it. Another perk of being a part of the All Access Club, the longer you remember, the more stuff you get. If you're part of the $9 tier every three months, you get stuff sent to your house. And the longer you remember, you get more and more stuff as a thank you. But probably the coolest thing is the bonus content. And every month, you get a bonus episode with a non lead singer. Also, a bunch of stuff, me talking to my friends. I actually did one this week where I'm talking to my mom. Uh, So, you know, just to get an insight into my life, uh, some people are interested in that. If you're not, well, hey, you don't even have to listen to those episodes. Also, a really, probably my favorite, favorite part is. The Facebook group, and we now have one hundred and seventy five members on there pretty much all day it's going on. Uh, we've organized events. there was an event in Stockholm, which was really cool. there's an upcoming v- event in Texas, which is going to be really, really special. So if you join the club, be a sinner. it is really, really fun, and I guarantee you you'll make a lot of friends and it's really is a great group on there. Shout out to everybody. All the new members especially, but of course all the people holding down the fort over on the Facebook group, and I love you all. That's all. I just wanted to make sure you guys checked out that link, so that's all I ask. You don't have to sign up. I know it's not for everybody. The show will always be free, so don't worry about that. But hey, if you want to help out, the link is TheWeedSingerSyndrome.com slash all access. Thanks a lot for listening to me rant, and we'll see you next Monday.